to the Fire and Bones podcast. I'm Michael Crosswhite, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And I am Nathan Loudon, the pastor of Millwood Baptist Church in Austin, Texas. Follow the podcast, rate it. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this week's episode. You don't know yet that like at the potlucks, you have to make your rounds to the people you know. You're like, oh, hey, <laughs> you, are you going to be at the potluck? You're, you're going to, oh, I'm looking forward to that, whatever. And you know, because you know that's what they make and you know that that's their like, that's their thing. And you just want to make sure that they make that thing. <laughs> you got to incept the potluck, man. It's inception. Inse- Pastoral inception. I thought, I, di- I, thought I did it. I thought I did it from the pulpit. I thought there were going to be like four people competing for the best green bean casserole and it didn't happen so bro you're not very it, it is it is what DiCaprio. it is <laughs> no no i no i i'm i'm barely doing i'm barely doing well in this level of reality that i'm in so uh, I, I i don't i don't need dreams inside dreams uh to complicate things so you have to plant the idea uh, of what food you want at the potluck it's this this one though like she she showed up in the office and you know for a meeting and she didn't even know that my favorite pie was was buttermilk pie she just happened to bring it and i was like it was Mm. the lord's will that's the lord just said yeah some days you know you just feel like the lord just goes you are gonna feel my love today i see you way more yes way came down yes yeah yeah. There may be days of mourning. There may be days of sorrow and sadness and all of those kinds of things. There may be days like David when he hides his face from you, you feel like. and But then there are days where someone shows up with a buttermilk pie and yeah. the clouds opened up and God says, I love you, Michael. And that's mm, the way it was. It's just that's like when Israel like. Was, in, was in Babylon. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like the exile. And then the prophet comes <laughs> speaking of messengers you're you're in matthew 28 you're you are you're going back through matthew is that what i understand you've already (laughs) preached matthew once and then you realized well so so i'm preaching it again i mean what what are you doing here what's going on in tuscaloosa basically i was like listen i know that i'm really long-winded i get it so I'm just going to give you the long and short of it. All right. <laughs> so uh, we took so long through the book of Matthew. We had people born, people die. Like we had like, it's like, we're like the, the Donner party going happened. from New York to Oregon. You know, like, yeah. we're a completely different group from the one that we started off. And so, so, so I felt the need to, you know, it really was always the plan, like to come back at the end and just go, um, you know, he, let's, let's, if we were to kind of capture some of the biggest themes running throughout the book of Matthew, what would we say? And, and not only just not summarizing the book per se, but really trying to take, how do I take 28 chapters of scripture and actually go, okay, this is what changed as a result of of the book of Matthew. 
you know, basically summarizing these these capstone ideas that are presented throughout it and 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 this is the impact they should have on my individual life but then also on our corporate life our life as a church body what what is the biggest impact what what changes as a result of that that's kind of the idea anyway and that's like how many weeks like three more weeks six more weeks no this is the last week so we, we've done five weeks total. We'll be, including this coming week, will be t- five total weeks of just summary, pretty much. And basically, yeah, the gotcha. way that I've kind of thought about it was um, we did, um, the first week we did, the, the kind of the summary is members of the body of Christ strive toward personal kingdom ethics, personal holiness. Um, and I feel like that is the kind of the sort of center point of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. Um, the body of Christ is made up of truly converted people who genuinely worship the Lord. And so we talked about true conversion and genuine worship, which I feel like is another pivotal part of mm-hmm. the book of Matthew. And, and I basically came to Matthew 13, 44 to 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which which a man found and covered up, and his joy goes and sells all that he owns to buy the field. Um, kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, and on finding one pearl of great value, sells all that he has to buy it. Um, so That was a good sermon, by the way. Oh, thank you. That was, that well, was a good sermon. That, <clears throat> not not that you've taken so long right now. I mean I mean when you preached that sermon that day, that was a good sermon. <laughs> yeah. Um so so that that passage is a big is a big one and then pairing that with Matthew sixteen, twenty four to twenty eight, which fo- is just a few chapters later, where Jesus says, uh, you know, this is what it takes to be my disciple. If anyone comes after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. Um, then, um, then, so then a couple of weeks ago, the third sermon in that was as Matthew, the way it impacts us is it causes members of the body of Christ to safeguard the gospel through proper church membership, genuine, good, uh, meaningful, as Jonathan Lehman would put it, meaningful church membership and discipline. And so we looked at both the passage where Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ and Jesus says, you know, on this rock, I'll build my church. Uh, the gates of hell won't, you know, prevail against it. And then, and then later in Matthew 18, where he gets to a very similar thing, uh, what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Those two passages together, kind of looking at that and going, what Jesus has in mind, what Matthew even has in mind in the gospel is is really culminating in this church that Jesus is coming to build and establish. And it's going to be made up of people who in whom the Spirit of God dwells and whom flesh and blood does not reveal, but the there's a uh, human heaven communication um, that the church is going to be built on 
and uh, and so um, so he's establishing his church. And so I think the the lens that, and that's what you know we kind of got to is like the lens that we're looking through the book of Matthew in is that with the end in mind, Jesus is establishing his church. And he's setting up leadership, he's setting up uh, membership, he's setting up uh, how we protect one another, how we guard one another, how we help one another. He's setting up all those things. And if we just look at Christianity as me and my Savior in a room by ourselves with my Bible, then we're doing it wrong. And Because Jesus, he, yes, he came to save you from your sins, but he came to build his church too. And you're you're make you a part of it, and that's how he intends to safeguard right. you, help you persevere, you know, is all those things. And so, you know, that was a big that's a big piece. And then and then we spent the last we'll, we spent last week, and we'll spend this week on the Great Commission. Where last week my goal was uh, <laughs> how well I achieved that goal is another thing, but uh, <laughs> but my goal was to help <laughs> us as a church body see the Great Commission through the lens of a church, not just through the lens of our mm. individual task. So yeah. we tend to read the Great Commission as this is my role in, you know, mm-hmm. the church is to be sure I get in the right line at the grocery store so that I can share the gospel with that person behind the counter. And so do you think that means we don't th- have a personal responsibility for evangelism? That we're just it's kind of no, a I, no, thing I, and maybe I have a part and other people have a different part, but I, I'm not the one that has to actually do the sharing the gospel. No, I, I think I think it's it's actually the, the opposite. You you're anybody that is that is equipped, anybody that is saved understands what the good news of Jesus' resurrection is. But I think we miss the boat when we think that that is the culmination of what he's talking about. First of all, he hasn't spent a ton of time in the gospel focus on focusing on on the individual as much as focusing on the corporate effects of the holiness of the individual. So right. the, he's building his church, and he's built his church. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples." Um, and so he, so he's, he's, um, he's built his church and he's established its foundation. And here he's talking to the elders of the church, the first Baptist church of Jerusalem or whatever you want to call it. And he's commissioning them to go. And the way that they perceive his command, the way they fulfill his command is not merely personal evangelism. That is true. They do that. But it's not merely that. It's they establish the church, and through the church, they baptize, they make disciples, they teach. And we see in Acts that the church is giving themselves to the teaching of the of the apostles. So so we 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 tend to look at the Great Commission as okay, I, I want to be a Great Commission person and so I need to share the gospel and that's where the application stops. But what I wanted to do last week was was say no we as a church have to embrace true missional living. Um and and realize that you showing up on Sunday to your church 
you serving in your church, bringing other younger people along with you to serve in your church is one piece of the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Being a healthy church together is fulfilling the Great Commission because what does he say? Make disciples, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And and we'll get to the last phrase in just a second, but he says, teach them, teaching them to observe all that I've committed. Those elements in the Great Commission of making disciples are what's done inside the church. So your goal, <clears throat> as you go out and share this good news that you believe in with someone, is not to end there, but to bring them back into the body of Christ, where they can be guarded, protected, nurtured, cared for, taught, trained. There's so members. many people. Yep. Yeah, there's yeah, they'd be members of the body of Christ. You're making them members. That's how the church is built. And so there's so many people I think that that go, well, you know, I, I could share the gospel with somebody. I could tell them here's what it means to be saved. I could do that. I believe that. I know that I could do that. But if you're asking me to open up the book of Revelation and walk them through verse by verse through the book of Revelation, I don't think I can do that. And I don't think I can do that well. And so that that's one obstacle, right? In in some way that's a that's a that's a there's a training issue there, right? Like, okay, well, let's all let's sit down and let's go through the Bible. And over the course of your life, I want you to grow in familiarity with the Bible and feel comfortable reading it talking about it, being able to say, I think this is what's being said here based on these things. I want you to feel like you can read the Bible and understand it. But don't let that be the reason that you don't share the gospel because you're afraid that in making disciples, I'm going to have to sit down with somebody and open the Bible and teach it to them. You have teachers in the church. Like what the th- the beauty of the Great Commission that Jesus is establishing, he's not telling one individual, go do this. He's telling a group of individuals, go do this together. And so you, as a church member, are leaning hard mm-hmm. on your church to help make disciples. So you go and you got this, this person who you're telling the gospel to, and they're like, their eyes light up, and they're like, man, I cannot believe this. I can have salvation, and you're pumped, and they're pumped, and this is awesome. And then you go, oh, no, what do I do now? Well, you go, come with me on Sunday. I'll drive to your house, and I'm going to pick you up, and we're going to go to church. And then we're going to go on on Monday for a Bible study that we have there. Then I'm going to pick you up, and we're going to go on Tuesday morning for prayer meeting. Then we're going to go on Wednesday night, and we're going to go to Wednesday night services. And then we're going to go on, you know, whatever we're, you know, maybe we got a project or something we're doing, or then you're going to go with me on church again on Sunday, and you're going to go with me to small group Sunday afternoon. And then, you know, so you're, you're basically going, I'm going to, I'm going to show you what it means to follow Christ by teaching you what it means to be a good church member, where when you come into this body, you're going to be baptized. You're going to be taught to observe all that he has commanded us. And you then are going to do this for somebody else. And you don't have to feel the pressure of exhibiting every gift, every spiritual gift to someone at the dinner table because all you're really doing is you're turning them into a follower of you, not a follower of Jesus. You're the one that's got all the gifts. Mm-hmm. 
You want to turn them into a follower of Jesus? We'll introduce them to his body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, what I think is so helpful that you kind of walk through is that evangelism is not, we cannot boil down evangelism and the witness of the church and the testimony of the church to doing gospel conversations in certain moments that the witness, the testimony of the church, of the gospel itself, by the church, is it's ecclesiological as well. It's not just missiological. That is to yes. say, one of the ways that we display the gospel, tell the gospel, preach the gospel, protect the gospel, speak the gospel, live the gospel, is by church membership, loving one another, discipline, guarding those things. That it's not... Church membership is just the way we do membership, right? Uh, church membership yes. is uh, just the way that we, you know, we've got to have some order, so that's the way we do it. But it's actually part of the, the way that we display the gospel of Christ and the way that we uh, bring others to Christ. I think it's really helpful. It, 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 certainly, it certainly makes evangelism much bigger than just, uh, than just me, in my conversations. Yeah. Yeah. What, what's interesting and what, what kind of flipped the switch on this passage for me was this phrase at the end, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What Jesus says back in chapter 18, if you remember, he says, mm-hmm. for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am among them. In other words, where two or three are gathered Lo, I am with them always, even to the end of the age. And the context of that passage in verse 18, or in chapter 18, is in church discipline. When someone has wandered, when someone has, who previously professed faith in Christ, is now wandering into unrepentant sin and has refused, after a number of repeated warnings, to repent of that sin, it has been told then to the church. And collectively, as the body of Christ, they have refused, the, 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 this person has refused the call of repentance from the body of Christ. The collective body of Christ is to their, let this person be to them as a Gentile or tax collector. Meaning, I think the way we would interpret that and the way we would see it happen in like our, in church would be that we would remove them from membership. The church would vote and say, yes, we, we cannot affirm this person's identity in Christ. And so, based on their unrepentant life. Um, And so, he has promised that when they do that, they will be reflecting his very will. They have permission to speak on behalf of Christ into the life of this person. Um, And about... So, like, when Jesus says, there I am among them, he's saying, it's, you're you're acting on my authority. It's like I'm there. Yes, yes. Is that what you're saying? And so, yes. And so, he places his his authority and his presence, his ongoing presence among them in a special way when they come together to fulfill the purposes of his church that he is building, to safeguard his sheep and to also draw a line between his sheep and, and the people of the world. And it seems like the Great Commission then is another facet of that, but in this case, it's not sending someone out, it's bringing someone in. 
And so he's mm. saying, when you act on my behalf, on, on my authority, going into, because I, I have authority over all nations now, you going into all nations, because I have the authority, you're acting on my behalf. So he's restored his disciples who have the spirit of God within them to be emissaries of his kingdom. As Adam would have been in the garden, an emissary of God's kingdom, uh, Adam failed to, to be that, of course. Jesus is saying, look, all authority is, is in heaven and earth has been given to me. They're, they're going to get the spirit, the, the helper uh, to come alongside them, to live in them, to, be, to dwell in them and move them. Um, but they are commissioned now as emissaries of his kingdom. And when they do the work on his behalf in all nations, they, he, he is there among them. And so he, he's, doing, he's doing the work with them, and his presence mm-hmm. is there with right. them. And so, right. um, and, to, and forever, it's going to be ongoing. And so I, I think there is a strong connection between 18 and 28, and I think it is that when the church is gathered together, working on the same page toward the same goal, to accomplish a task on behalf of Christ, they have permission to speak, and His presence is there among them. And I think that's what that that means. You you can speak with my authority. I am there with you. Uh, of course, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. So, in a real sense, in a spiritual and tangible and real sense, he, he is His presence is there with us. But I think it also means that there's there's an authority that comes with that presence that you can speak on my behalf. And this is when you make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. I'm there with you doing that, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think, it, I think it, the yeah, missional connection there is what I'm getting at. Yeah, and that significantly changes the purpose of the presence of Christ in the, in the church, plural, and in our personal lives. Because those both of those passages, Matthew 18 and 28, I think are so often made into kind of, oh, isn't it nice that Jesus is with us? Isn't it nice that when a couple of us get together, uh, Jesus is there too? Isn't that a good, warm feeling? And certainly God is uh, an encouraging God. He's the God of comfort, Paul says, and God's very eager to um, you know, comfort the saints and, and warm the hearts of the saints through the gospel. But that presence in both of those passages has a purpose beyond just being there and that kind of being a cool right. thing. Uh, you know, kind of just an affirmation that you're, you're, you got your coffee and you're outside and it's a cool morning and Jesus is there too. Um, you know, get two or three people and Jesus is going to come join you. Yeah, for what? Well, right. so, that you, so that you can exercise his authority so that yeah. what you do, you know, if there's two or three gathered and one of the three is acting like a fool and not like a Christian – then you have Jesus' authority. It's like he's there. You can tell that brother or sister you can't be a part of the two or three anymore. Um, and what gives you the authority to do that? Well, where there are two or three gathered in my name, then you have authority to do that. And, and the same going with the, um, the, the Great Commission. It's not just that I'm with you and, you know, hey, I'm ascending, but I'm here for you, but that the, the presence has a purpose. It has a, an, an authority to it. Uh, which is mentioned yeah. in both both those passages. Yeah, I, I you are my emissary, 
I'm the one with the authority and you are going on my behalf. And because it, because it, it's, uh, it's peculiar in 18, in chapter 18, if he, if that's not what he meant, and, and I think it, do, it does stand out to a lot of readers as peculiar when he says, when two or three are gathered together, I'm there among, in, in agreement, I think is the implication. Uh, I am there among them. There am I in their midst. Um, it's it stands out as odd when people read that and they go like, why, why when two or three, I mean, don't we have the ongoing presence of Christ with us at all times? Yes, that's mm-hmm. true. But in, in, why does he say two or three are gathered together? Why, why two or three? Because he's talking about his presence in an authoritative capacity, not just a, mm-hmm. like you said, kind of like a ooey gooey, feeling that there's that too. And I don't want to belittle that. I'm not trying to, <clears throat> you know, say that that's not the case or, 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 you know, when you go home, you don't have Jesus presence with you. That's not at all what I mean. But, um, but, yeah. but there's so a, he, he's intending to communicate. Jesus is with do me. what? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. I mean, says Jesus is with me. Okay. Yeah. That, that there's, there's a, there's a reality to that. And, and a, a very real sense that the Holy spirit dwells in us. He's with us. How else would we read the Bible and be able to interpret it and be able to apply it and it reveals sin to us and train us in righteousness? How how would it do that except that uh, except that the Holy Spirit is is with us? We're, we're told that a number of times and there was no way I would argue against that at all. But I'm just saying that that isn't the primary focus of what Jesus is saying there. The primary focus of Jesus is Jesus saying that in 18, and I'm arguing in 28 as well, is that there is an authoritative capacity when the church is gathered together to speak on his behalf, that a singular individual working alone does not have. And Mm -hmm. and so um, I think that is that makes it that makes the Great Commission a powerful argument for healthy churches, I think. Mm -hmm. It it means that your ecclesiology in your church, the way it's structured, the way it's built, the the work that it does, what it pays attention to, what things are most important to it, those things actually make you a Great Commission church. It isn't, and, and this is why I think this kind of bent in our modern world toward pragmatism in the church that says, well, whatever it takes to get them in the doorway, because we're a Great Commission church. Well, time out. Are you making people members of the church who are not demonstrating fruit of righteousness, of actual legitimate conversion? When Jesus says also in Matthew uh, a bad, bad roots produce bad fruits. He doesn't say it exactly like that, but that's my kind of rhyming interpretation of it. Bad roots produce bad fruits. Good roots produce good fruits. When he says that, and, and he 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 says in eighteen, a person goes away and 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 sins. You know, you tell him your, his sin. If he doesn't repent, tell, take two or three more. If he doesn't repent, take the whole church. If the whole if he doesn't listen to the whole church, let him be to you as a gentile tax collector. Are you doing that? Because if there are people in your membership that you did whatever it took to reach and they came in because they're responding to, quote unquote, whatever it took, 
the arcade games or whatever. Back in my day, it was arcade games. You know, it just packed our, the building with arcade games, and every teenager in town was there. Um, and so, so whatever it is, you know, are you doing whatever it takes? And as a result, do you have a membership that reflects whatever it takes and doesn't reflect actual right. kingdom values and growth and holiness? If so, then you're not a Great Commission church. I don't care if you've got 10,000 people in there. You, the Great Commission Church are yeah, the people that do what? Yeah. No, I was going to say it, it brings up the question of does what is our what's our our message mechanism? It's not just our voices and personal evangelism. That to have members who do not live according to the gospel per Matthew eighteen, then. That's a way that we lie about the gospel as a church. That in Matthew 28, you are baptized in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And that means you you take on the name. You get the the team jersey. You get the passport. You're, You're a citizen. You are publicly, formally declared by the church as a Christian. You are now in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so your life... Your citizenship, everywhere you go, is a witness and a testimony. So, like, I remember living in Hong Kong. I remember thinking a lot of people have a lot of thoughts about what it means to be American and what Americans are like. And I remember realizing I get a chance to give people a sense of what Americans are like. And I was usually more eager to claim myself as a a Texan and just kind of make that my, my main citizenship. But... You kind of have that sense. That's kind of what we're doing, talking about as a Christian, that your witness and your testimony is not just something that you go do, that when you bear the name of Christ, you are the mission. You, you are the witness, the testimony. And church membership and discipline really then doesn't become, it's not just about guarding you per se as the final end. It guards the gospel itself. That says, yep. so so that if you're living a life that does not agree with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the commands of Christ and repentance that follows the gospel, we remove you from the church for one reason, for your own sake, that you would know that you are not in the Lord, that it does not seem that you are actually of the faith, but also because that's not, that's lying about the gospel. That's not the gospel. That's not in accordance with the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So you, you cannot, what I hear you saying, what I think is there in Matthew 16, 18, and 20, kind of the Magna Carta Constitution, whatever you want to say, of the, the church, is you cannot say we do missions like this and we do church membership like this and that there is no relation to them because they're inextricably right. interwoven to each other they share the same purpose. They share the same end, and it, it's like it's like. Ha- do you want to have a steering wheel or do you want to have tires? Like, yeah. just try, just pick pick which one. Like, you can't have one without the other, and and make this thing work. Um, that's what I, that's what I kind of hear you saying. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. They're 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 inextricably linked. Yes, and it what that does when you see that. And you see that Jesus is establishing his church and that once he says that to Peter in 16, 
on this rock I will build my church, which we can talk about maybe another day at another time, but you know, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Everything changes in the gospel after that. That to me, that scene is the center point of the gospel of Matthew. I think it's the big hinge Mm -hmm. in the whole book. Mm -hmm. And everything turns, and it even says after that, shortly after that in 16, that from that moment on, he began to tell his disciples more plainly about who he was. And now why is that? Before he was casting it in parables, because the the only way they would understand in his parable preaching which they ask him about earlier and this is exactly what he told them but the the reason that he tells it in parables is because he basically is it's a way of separating the ones whom the father is revealing truth to and the ones who are are blind and in seeing the, the story they will see and not believe and in hearing they will hear and not receive um, but to you it has been given, he says. And he, then he says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, in 16, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven did. And so when you start to see these pieces that uh, of, of the church coming together, and he says, on, on this rock will I build my church, which, which you know, for, for me, I, I made the argument that the rock that he's building his church on, he's obviously playing off Peter's name, yes, um, and Peter's confession is key to that. But it it it's and and so some people say, well, he's not building it on Peter because we're not Catholic, and and I don't think that's yeah. necessarily true because the church is built on the apostles and prophets with Christ as the cornerstone. Um, so so that it is, and Peter is the spokesperson for the apostles. So Peter does play a vital role in that. It's not merely his confession either, um, because he yeah. says in seven in Matthew seven, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So then, what is it built on? Well, it's a confession uh, through which that that is confessed by someone through whom the Lord has revealed who Jesus is to them. That that's the foundational piece, right. and Peter is demonstrating that for everyone. He's the first one, really, to demonstrate that kind of that kind of faith. Um, and so, but I think when you put those things together and he builds his church on a confession, not merely a confession, but a confession that comes from the revelation of God in the per- this person's life, then it makes a lot more sense where Jesus in Matthew 7 at the end of the Sermon on the Mount says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And immediately after that, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So when you read that in verse 21, people think, well, do I, I get into heaven because of my good works, because I obey the will of the Father? No, it's built on a soul that has been reborn by the Father's revelation, revelation by the Spirit's presence in this person's life, and that empowers the doing of the will. So the way that you recognize whether or not someone is 
in the church or out of the church is whether or not they're bearing the fruit of the spirit that's dwelling within. That's how you can see it because you otherwise you would you would be helpless to be able to determine this. So like these passages early on begin to then make a lot more sense as Jesus says, this is what I'm going to build my church on, the Spirit's revelation to you that I am the Christ. Not merely that you can say, I am the Christ, or that you can say, Lord, Lord, but that the Spirit is actually dwelling within you and crying out, Abba, Father. You know, that that's mm-hmm. the pivotal difference. Yeah. And this is how you're going to recognize yeah. it. So when you go after someone and they don't repent, well, you're starting to recognize it. They're producing the bad fruit, right? Like, so he, he's connecting it all together. And so the, the the gospel of Matthew, which is the reason that I wanted to preach it, was, uh, and, and it probably was far more beneficial than I even knew, but um, the reason that I think it's so important, I mean, it, it is a, I think it's an ecclesiologically, that is a, a doctrine of the church, heavy book. And we can read it individualistically, and I think that's the wrong way to read it, but you know, this is a this is a book, an argument, a love letter, if you will, for the church. You know, that's and it's great. Yeah. I think. What What would you say? So, how do what does it look like when we get that wrong? So, what does it look like when we get missiology narrowed down to sharing the gospel, and ecclesiology separate and narrowed down to? You know how we structure church. When we separate them, what what are how do we know that we're separated them, and what are we, what are we doing that that shows we don't have those things together? Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a lot in that, um, and there's probably like fifteen questions. <laughs> uh, I, I would say, you know, number one, the the biggest danger, of course, that we're running into and I think we see this all over our churches, is that in our bad church governance, our bad church polity, our bad practices of church membership, our, our absence of practice of church discipline, we're saying collectively Jesus is, is here among us saying the same thing. We're his emissaries, we're speaking on his behalf, and this is what he says about your adulterous relationship that we're not going to bother correcting this is this is what that jesus says that that's okay i mean that that ultimately is what we're saying um you believer who just said that you believe in jesus of yeah has the fruit of producing lives that don't care about holiness christians that don't care about righteousness yeah yeah it basically means not so so if you say you, you Christian, you, you person who, who just, you know, confessed Christ as Lord, we're, we're going to baptize, we're going to put you in the water, and then we're not going to, we're not going to do, we don't do church discipline here, we don't practice that, uh, we don't, we don't actually like take a second and just go, okay, let's talk about what's just happened, let's help prepare you for what it means to follow Jesus, let's actually get you with people in our church in relationships that they can teach you how to follow Jesus. Um, when we don't do that, then we're basically saying what Jesus wants from you is just to cry out, Lord, Lord, 
and he cares about nothing else. And and we don't if if we were to say, if we were to say, thus saith the Lord, I don't care about your lifestyle. I only want you to say, Lord, Lord. If we were to actually put that that in our mouth, that if that would actually come out, it might give us a moment of pause. But we have to realize that when we put somebody in the baptistry, that's what we're doing. We're saying, thus saith the Lord. And so there is a, a, we should approach that with a little bit of trepidation. You know, do we celebrate when a sinner comes to repentance and wants to be baptized? Absolutely. But should we also make sure that his repentance is genuine? I mean, if we're going to stand in the baptistry and the church together is making a proclamation here, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as a church, we are gathered together in agreement because we understand that that testimony that you've given to us is as best we can see genuine. And we commit before the Lord that based on all the available evidence to us, you are a born-again believer. Well, that should give us a little bit of pause and, 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 and make us go, okay, we want to just approach this with wisdom, with uh, you know, good jurisprudence, because when we step in the waters of baptism, we're speaking on behalf of Jesus. And if I'm going to do that, and I'm going to lead a church to do that, I want to be patient. You know, so I think, I, I think we've we've we get a lot of. Uh, when we get this wrong, we get a lot of uh, gung-ho about a confession and not very gung-ho about the follow-through. And I think I've made those mistakes in my life, and I think I've, I think our church has, and so on and so forth. I mean, I think we've all made those mistakes, and it's just it's part of being human, I think, too, is, is you know, a piece of that, which is unfortunate, but, yeah. you know, it is what we have. Yeah, and I... I... I remember sitting at the table with an uh, an atheist guy, and it's been some been years now, and he was explaining to me that, you know, the the cult the the religion of Christianity is on serious decline in America, and does that concern me? Does that kind of make me nervous that I'm becoming a minority and that everyone's kind of leaving Christianity behind? And my answer was an emphatic no, that the church has been uh, bloated with false converts for for many, many years. If we can get you down at a revival and get you to sign a card, you are counted, and we send that number to the Southern Baptist Convention and record it as a salvation. Uh, Or if you are four years old and you say the name Jesus in your bedroom with your mom, then we are going to baptize you the next week. Yep. If you are willing to come and, and slide down the fire truck baptism and have bubbles blow out when you get baptized at six years old, we will count that as a profession a profession of faith. And so what yeah. we're doing is, as the church is declining, we're, it's just being purified, it's being pruned, and we're, we're kind of losing the excess, kind of not—we're losing what's not true conversion— and so we're really not losing anything. We're just being clarified. 
we're kind of wiping the fog off of our glasses going this this is the fruit that we've been these are the seeds that we've been planting for decades and and I, I, I have no desire to like blame and say wow look at look at the generations got gone before us look how foolish they were and all the the bad you know the bad fruit from our forefathers I mean goodness gracious I'm not I'm not trying to say that at all uh, I, I'm looking at my own ministry my own life to inspect and I I could just you know write a book on the things I wish I could learn um, but that's just kind of pointing to this this discussion of church membership and discipline connected to the gospel itself and connected to missions itself is we're, that discussion that we're having now is just showing we're we're kind of eating the fruit that we planted for a long time in the in the church declining in America. Mm-hmm. Amen to that. And you, in order to be, you could probably also say, to you could probably also say to an individual, and I think this would be true, um, that the church is actually never in decline, and never has been in decline. <laughs> Um, because it, when Jesus it, said, it, can't decrease it, in number. it it literally cannot. Yeah, it can't decrease in number. Yeah, yeah. It, it's um you, because in order, you know, first of all, one convert tomorrow, one person coming to to faith in Christ tomorrow, is an increase, right? <laughs> but beyond that, like I, I, that's not even my my point. My point is when Jesus said on the cross it is finished that that was it 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 was finished the 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 sin for his people was atoned for so in evangelism right. we we share the gospel and dead people wake up but i don't cause those dead people to wake up the lord does and he has said the gates of hell won't stop me from doing that it doesn't matter what it is. Now, what people refer to as decline is it's growing less favorable to the masses. Oh, that's certainly true. And that will ebb and flow, you know, as long as we're here. Um, there was a time where the Roman Empire made it le- made Christianity the legal, you know, the, the state religion. And so the, it's hard to get right. much more generally favorable than that. You know, um, right? But and and then and then there's been places like North Korea where you know you can't breathe the name of Jesus anywhere in that state without being right. put to death. And so, um, you know, it, it's it'll ebb and flow throughout the years in different countries and things like that as far as general favorability among the masses. But that has nothing to do with people that are genuinely converted. That will never be in decline. Right. Yeah, amen. I, and I think, too, it just encourages me a great deal, and it takes a load off of our shoulders. Our, our burden for evangelism remains lost souls, faithfulness to the authority of Christ. Um, it, re, it remains belief that there uh, are more in this city to go see. We It remains that there is a... Um, a, a harvest that is ripe and the laborers are few and, and we are called to go. Uh, but it also takes off the pressure that um, yeah. you know, it's just my job just to kind of keep people here. 
um, <laughs> that, and it's my job to kind of keep people excited. And then it's my job to, you know, it's got to be revival every single day, all the time. Yeah. And no, no, that's not what faithfulness to the gospel looks like. It looks more like two or three yes. gathering in Jesus' name, watching over one another's yes. souls in personal yes. discipleship and exercising church membership and discipline. And that actually is faithfulness to the Great Commission. It's not yes. a, it's not an addition. It's not just a, a, a you know, a practical question of, of governance. It actually is doing the thing. It actually is part of the Great Commission. And so it's a wonderful yes. encouragement that we're, we're, we don't have to go out and create, I mean, obviously, we, the, the, the other side of the conversation is obviously you can't just do the Great Commission with church membership either. You know, church membership isn't the Great Commission. Uh, you, you being at home uh, in Tuscaloosa all by yourself and never telling anyone else about Jesus, that's not the Great Commission, obviously. Um, right. But it's just a wonderful comfort to know that there's a closer to home every single day great commission part uh that ecclesiology plays in our lives and that's that's part of the plan that's jesus's plan yeah uh for what it means to make disciples yeah yeah um i think the 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 beauty of the faith that we um that is is once for all delivered to the saints handed down from generation to generation the true and genuine faith in Christ is surprisingly ordinary in so many ways that right you, and local. You, we look yeah. for the spectacular we want the spectacular we you know we want to be to leave the worship service high on the mountaintop and we have so many people in our churches that go you know um, after you know so and so died I, I stayed away for a few weeks because I just couldn't bear to be there um, I'd just be a blubbering mess or, you know, I hear, I've heard that from time to time, you know, just all of these different things. It's a bad way to view the church that the, the church is coming together as the body of Christ and bringing the blubbering mess and being there with your brothers and sisters singing the same song. The one sitting next to you is singing that song from a deep-seated joy that just because everything just went their way this week maybe or or whatever, mm-hmm. but they, they're on cloud nine right now and they're singing, you know, great is thy faithfulness and it to them it is, mm-hmm. uh, it is just a sweet, sweet song and they're really feeling his faithfulness right now. And then there's the other person's you know, on the pew that, that when they're singing great is thy faithfulness, they're, they're reminding themselves of what they struggle to believe right now. And those things, I mean, yeah. If you think, if you think about it, it's, it's funny that, you know, for generations, for a generation at least, I grew up being told evangelism, listen, this is going to be mind blowing. Are you ready for this? Evangelism is not inviting people to church. Evangelism is not inviting people to church. It's going out and sharing the gospel and and those things. And and hundred percent, thousand percent, I agree. But at the same time, now it's almost like one of the most like the one of the ways the gospel will stand out in our culture more than anything is to invite someone to our church. And let them see our church. 
Let them hear yeah. our church. Let them see our church love each other. Let them hear us sing together. Let them hear oh, the gospel preached and the people say amen. There's a great video on uh, uh, Together for the Gospel of an older couple that came. They both kind of came to Christ in, in succession, and the, uh, the gentleman uh, was not a believer, and he kind of showed an interest in this older single woman, and she was a part of uh, this healthy church. And she obviously let him know that they would not be there would not be any kind of engagement of any kind until you know unless he was a Christian, and so just out of interest and kind of out of their relationship, he went to this uh, really healthy church in Washington D.C. Capitol Hill, and his going to church. So I've never seen. I just knew immediately these people loved each other, and that there was something mm-hmm. genuine there, and that the gospel that was being preached they actually believed it just by what he witnessed on a Sunday morning. So I wonder if it's not funny that we might actually be in the moment of a reversal of one of the best ways you can share the gospel with someone is invite them to your church and let them see it. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, I I would say, you know, I would be happy to see this pendulum swing a little bit back the way of inviting someone to church as fulfilling the Great Commission. And I think, honestly, that's probably a little closer to what Jesus is is saying here in the Great Commission than you just go out and share the gospel and just let it be. Um, mm-hmm. And, it, and we're, but, we're coming into but, that generation now that Al, Al Mohler and Pew Research have been telling us about for years, the generation of none, the generation that doesn't mark uh, Buddhist or... Athe- they don't. They don't mark Baptist or Catholic. They don't mark any religion or or Islam. They mark nothing, and we're coming on the first generation of kids who didn't grow up in the church and leave. Their parents never took them to church. They never been to yeah. church. They they don't know what the inside of a church looks like, um, and so that invitation to church, it it's not what it it's not it's not now. And it's definitely not going to be. It seems what it used to be in terms of evangelistic efforts. And that ecclesiological foundation is actually going to shine. You know, it's going to be more beautiful to the non-believers than the cross and the steeple on your church. I used this illustration, and I think it worked pr- pretty well in terms of communicating what I, what I wanted to out of this, out of the Great Commission uh, this pa- in this past sermon. And if you can think about, if you can just visualize the 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 difference in approach of evangelism that we're talking about here in this illustration, I think it might help. If if you were uh, I, I, the way I presented in the sermon was uh, you and you kind of in a Navy SEAL. I always think in the terms of the SEALs and the Special Forces because they're the coolest. And and so, but if you if you were uh, you you're sent out into this village you, you, you your country this neighboring country are in a conflict a war and your commander sends you out behind enemy lines under the cover of darkness to go take down the enemy's defenses and your 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 team is moving through this jungle forest type thing outside of the village that you're about to invade and uh, you stumble upon some citizens of your country that are hiding out in the woods, 
They have mud all over their faces. They're weather-beaten. They're, um, they're skinny and frail. They've been without food and water for no telling how long. And uh, you, you found them just by, you know, answer to prayer. They, there they were. What would you do? Would you say to that person, all right, I'm going to give you my what's left in my canteen. I'm going to give you my crackers so that you can eat. And then I'm going to come back here every week and I'm going to bring you more water and more food. Or would you immediately get on the radio and radio base and exfiltrate them out of that jungle back into the homeland where they can receive constant nourishment and constant food, constant care, constant protection? Well, of course you would do that because they're citizens of your, of, of your country. Well, in the same way, when we go out and share the gospel, what we're finding with people that, that show interest or that go, wow, that's really true, or, or grow, are convicted by the sin, or, or maybe even profess faith in Jesus Christ, to put it all on our shoulders to come back and just bring them a canteen of water every week ourselves, or bring them crackers ourselves, or whatever we can smuggle across the border, is asinine. We have to bring them back to the place where they can receive nourishment from all of their fellow citizens. That's what's in view in the Bible. That's what Jesus is building a church. So you go into the wilderness and into exile, into the world around us, and you share the gospel. Yes, you tell it. You tell the good news of salvation in Christ alone. And when you see that the light come on for that person, or when you see even the faintest hint of interest, take them back to your church where they can receive more, where they can hear the gospel from another person on the pew next to them, or in the Sunday school class, or from the pulpit, or singing in the song. We we have, um, we, we're in a, just a, I just love this town, but we're, we're in a, place where um it's just a it's a blessing that that we have a university near us that we've got tons of international people and we have one one guy in particular in our church not not just one but we have one guy in particular that I'm thinking of who is just the consummate evangelist and he just has the gift of evangelism and in any week he might have 5 to 6 international students around him so so because of the university you get students from everywhere all over the world and um it's not uncommon for international students to come out of curiosity with him to the worship service and hear the preaching and and listen to the (laughs) singing and and walk away and tell and tell him that was the best thing i've ever seen in my life Mm -hmm. and just be significantly impacted. We had a guy, he, he was sharing the gospel yeah. with this one particular international student, and that student would ask for the songs that we were going to sing beforehand. He was actually a really good singer, but English was not his native language. And so he asked for the songs that we were going to sing ahead of time, and he would learn the lyrics, and he would try to understand what they mean. You translate them and then understand what they mean and then sing them in, in English. And so he would sing with us, and he wasn't a believer. And over time, he grew to understand what the gospel was 
through the witness of our member and, and through our testimony as a church and things like that. And he, he moved to another school and then eventually back to his home country and, uh, and became a Christian. And so you look at, you look at the, the, it's, it's interesting. We, we tend to share the gospel with somebody and, and maybe we see this person come to faith and, and everybody goes, says about that person, oh, so-and-so shared the gospel with them and they came to know Jesus. Well, hang on just a second. What if we had God, a God, God's glasses, he just, God allowed us to put on his lenses for just a second and we were to see everything in that person's life. Mm-hmm. And we were to see every church that reached out, poured into, did vacation Bible school with. We were to see every member who just served him, just greeted him at the doorway with a, with a smile and just, you know, was so nice to him. Every marriage that he witnessed next to him of the husband just loving his wife or the wife loving her husband. Every uh, every kid submitting to their parents and, and, and every interaction he and he had ever viewed in the church i don't think we would say that the evangelist gets the credit for that person coming to christ we would say first of all god opened his eyes that's pivotal that that's the only way that could happen but second it took a whole church of people being a church together to share the gospel with this individual and when that happened mm-hmm. he came to christ Seeing that enough mm-hmm. times was a compelling argument that, you know what? Something does happen here that's different. The Spirit mm-hmm. does actually mm-hmm. come into... God is real, and, and He does come yeah. into people's lives, and He does change them because I see a community here that has been changed. They're all different, mm-hmm. and I want that. I want to be a part of that. So when you become that compelling mm-hmm. community as a church... And you, you really seek to live lives of holiness, but also just love one another. That's how they know you're the disciple of the Lord, is that you love one another. They see the church, and that's how they know that you're my disciple. I mean, isn't that amazing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, and it's like, as you're talking, I'm thinking, we, the ecclesiology and the care and love for one another matters so much. Because for, as we're transitioning uh, our, you know, generationally, the next generation's understanding of the gospel and experience in the church, we've got to realize that many of our neighbors will have no more or better understanding of the gospel, no, no more experience of the church than someone in China. Right. And how flabbergasted they might be to, to see inside a church. And to see a church being the church, and to walk yeah. in and see four or five year olds, old people, black, white, Asian, worshiping and singing together, would astound them because they've never seen it. Just like just like your international students, our neighbors down the street would have the same experience. Yeah, it's just as foreign to them. Yeah, praise God, brother. I'm thankful for your preaching. I'm thankful that you're covering this, Thank and you. I'm eager to see how it bears fruit in uh, in your church and. Uh, and uh, my church as well. Amen. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful. It's, it, I, th- I think the book of Matthew has, uh, I, I don't know what I expected, but I think it, it significantly impacted me just studying it week in and week out, uh, probably more than any singular book um, 
I've I've studied at that level, you know, um, okay. and I, I don't know why that is all totally, but I think the Lord has used it on me uh, a number of times. I mean, the Sermon on the Mount alone just wrecked me, and um, and so I've been blessed so much by it just going through, and I, I'm sad to leave it. <laughs> you know, and in some ways we're not leaving it. We're taking all the things that we learned and just, and we're kind of, you know, taking them with us. They're, they're a part of us, but, but at the same time, you know, not being in it week in to week out, you know, is, uh, is a little bit scary, I think, but, uh, it's been so good to, to study. <laughs> I've enjoyed every minute of it. Awesome. You going to see what's coming next for you guys, man. I'll see you next week. for listening to the fire and bones podcast if you enjoyed this podcast consider subscribing or following the show on your favorite listening platform so you can be notified every time a new episode is released consider leaving us a generous review if that's an option for you and most importantly share this podcast with someone that you think might benefit from it be sure to check the show notes for any relevant links including our contact information feel free to reach out to us with any questions you might have thanks for listening and we'll see you next time on the fire and bones podcast Thank you.